BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. All right, this I always think of this as the real opening night, the first true league pass extravaganza of the season. Before we get started, though, I want to tell you about BetQL. If you want an edge over Vegas, download BetQL, the app you need to get an advantage this season. Discover value bets, line movement, find out what bets the public backs with BetQL. The best part, it is free to download from your mobile device. Head to betql.co, that's .co, not .com, and use promo code CAPSPACE for your free three-day trial. Give yourself an advantage over Vegas and download BetQL, that's betql.co. And that familiar promo code, CAPSPACE. So I think we should start with the game that we did for the Twitter NBA show, Danny. Dallas and Phoenix, a ballyhooed matchup between Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton. Probably fair to say that Ayton got the better uh, of this one. Uh, Had a very nice offensive performance, especially early on. What I liked the most about him was he wasn't really trying to do too much uh, on the way to his 18 points uh, on 8 for 11. He also had six assists, uh, remarkably, although I'm not sure how many of those were value-added plays. A lot of it was Kokoshkov's offense as the Suns racked up 35 assists, which this was one of the worst passing teams in the nba the last few years so that's just an incredible number for them uh under kakashkov's system and i thought that ayton did well to just take what was there you know they didn't do that many straight post-ups for him against guys his size which is where he's not fantastic he hit a couple of turn and face jumpers which we know he's capable of hitting on deandre jordan who i didn't think had a good defensive game especially in the first half and then he got two quick buckets by just getting a switch and posting up hard right at the charge circle getting a pass and scoring hit one nice lefty hook against a mismatch on west matthews and uh finished around the rim reasonably well so I, I again it was one of those things where you know he didn't do anything that was like oh man that was just so impressive but the dude is big and he scored very efficiently in this game i think the best way that i can describe this game is that it was a matter of perspective and this is very hard when talking about the phoenix because there are a group of people that have a very specific perspective on certain members of the Phoenix Suns and there are those that do not and for those who like for the positive side of it there were absolutely things to grab onto for all of the major figures in this game Devin Booker had a wonderful offensive game overall. He had that huge stretch from about the five-minute mark to the two-and-a-half-minute mark where he scored 12 points and basically put the game away. And that was on three threes and a nice and one where he got a drive, got enough space. And I think it was on on Dennis Smith. I can't remember which Maverick it was on. And offensively, you know, Booker did that. And it, it I also Brunson, thought, I thought the, the, the guy he blew past. Oh, Jalen yeah, Brunson, yeah, he had okay. that and one. Then he had, I mean, the Mavs just couldn't find anyone to stop him in part. 
part due to their own problems like dennis smith they put him on booker one possession and smith just turned his head booker did a cut off of a big and just uh hit a three over him he hit another just incredibly difficult three uh on the left wing as the shot clock expired i mean it was really just an incredible performance and he's certainly capable of just being totally unstoppable at times but i just i liked the overall efficiency that he brought not only just in terms of you know going 12 and 19 from the field for 35 points and 6 of 10 from three i like that he took half of his shots from three getting up 10 three-point attempts is awesome seven assists was also really good but i just like the fact that they didn't yeah and he didn't turn yeah. the ball over that's, that one, that's one of the things i want to focus yeah, on i mean he had three turnovers and, but it nothing bad for that but i mean that's yeah. that's for for having the ball in his hands as much as he did i'm i'm not never going to really quibble with three turnovers. well, well re- real quickly and, you mentioned uh the ball in his hands I, I thought actually what was so impressive about in the 35 assists was he got his points and he got him efficiently but it wasn't just him dominating the ball every time it was those yep. utah principles where they moved the ball they're able to set him up uh, for plays where really for the first time he was having guys get him the ball in positions where he could just finish the play instead of having to create it and, and i thought that was uh certainly a reason for optimism in phoenix although against uh, what should be a bad mavs defense this year especially without harrison barnes being there i mean dorian finney smith did a lot west matthews to me he's looking older kind of by the day not not the same guy he was at 25 and that, that's okay you know it happens to just about everybody is an expiring contract at this point but i think you know of, of all the people who had their moments in this game i think the person who demonstrated the most value was actually igor kokoshkov because this is not a dramatically different you know like the suns have different personnel like trevor reason ryan anderson but those are not guys who a team takes their character from like this is still a devin booker team to me and their offense looked completely different this was a, a much more competent team yeah i mean, I mean having the spacing encouraged... though i mean having a three and a four man who are actually gonna make yes. shots is just and, and obviously you know they're replacing some of the worst coaches in the league with between triano and watson last year so yeah so I, so, I don't mean to discount some of it that, is, but, is parsing yeah credit. But, but i agree it's part of the long term like anderson and ariza aren't gonna be a part of this team kakashkov the hope is will be yeah and they can get other guys who can fill those roles differently but but ably and another element of that i thought tj warren actually taking threes i mean i don't think he's gonna go three for four every night i well, mean for, for and, obvious and neither reasons, is josh jackson i mean six out of eight those right. and then ariza was five out or not i mean yeah they're 19 to 34 from three they're not going to get that obviously every night i mean those guys if, right. if they can get a combined 33 percent out of those guys this season that would be great sure and, and that boosts up the assist, assist numbers and all that kind of stuff but the, but the offense looked uh, from a process standpoint i thought it looked much better than it has in previous years and one of the points that i think you and i have both made with devin booker over time is that i wanted to see what he can do when he doesn't have to manufacture as much of his offense and i think that was closer to it there were certainly moments especially in that 12 point run where it was a lot of Devin Booker doing doing really well and I also want to note because it's important and it's a, another facet of the game that both to me Booker and Aiton were bad defensively I thought Booker was awful and Aiton was bad I think that's probably a fair way to put it and you can build a very good team you can even do a great team if your most talented players are not good defenders and both of those guys I'm not closing the book on them 
forever or anything like that. But the concerns about them defensively were really laid bare in this game. I mean, Devin Booker wasn't given a tough assignment with Wes Matthews and was just straight up losing him on cuts that didn't really have anything going yeah, on. And, 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 and most DeAndre telling, Eaton, too, is when the opposing coach is drawing up every after timeout play to specifically attack Booker, that's when that's when you know that there's an issue. Because the, the opposing coach, he's the one who knows, especially when that man is Rick Carlisle. I mean, uh, but yeah. And, and what about Aiden? Well, so Aiden, I think my biggest concern with him is recognition because there were plays where he wasn't really doing anything and something came in, which would be a center responsibility. I mean, whether we're talking a good defensive center like Joel Embiid or Rudy Gobert, or we're talking even a shaky one, at least those guys generally know what's going on. And there were plays where a guy's, you know, driving towards the basket, Aiden's not even mixing it up with DeAndre Jordan and just never gets over there. It's not like Jordan's walling him off or anything like that. He's just not there. And my that led into one of my big concerns with Aiden, which is not necessarily that his intentions are bad, but that his instincts aren't good. And those are harder to correct because yes, it's true that the accountability has not been there for him. Hillcrest Academy, you know, Arizona ran this weird pack line defense last year that put him in strange positions. He was also playing the foot for them most of the time. Yeah, he was also playing the four a lot of the a lot of times for them. But you kind of it's a lot of it is just kind of that basketball IQ element of it. And there was a lot to like about it and his comfort with his jump shot. You know, he did do some nice jobs getting into the right space on offense. But we've had this discussion, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and other guys in this who's in this conversation. I think Towns is more defensive talent than Aiton does. And Nicole Jokic is in this conversation too about how good like what do you do with a center who's way better offensively than they are defensively? And Aiton, you know, it's way too early to make that definitive statement now but you start to have those thoughts and it's kind of where the nba is going where do they fit in and Aiton can be a very useful player without it but it's a lot harder yeah and and i think you know he and to a lesser extent bagley who actually didn't really play much at all tonight uh but he is going to be a very polarizing player as devin booker is going to be right his box score stores uh box score stats are going to be pretty good i mean he put up his eight for 11 he had 18 points i mean so when you do that it's tough to necessarily be a negative player uh but i think other teams will defend him a, a little bit better and that uh you know the things that he's not doing and of course i mean every time i tweet out like actual video evidence this this is what i love right like this is what we've come to now where when you tweet out first of all you could say oh his defense is bad and people like no it's not no it's not and then so then you tweet out actual video evidence of his defense being bad as we did throughout the broadcast and Suns fans are like oh like this is just three plays or you just have an agenda like it's right there on the fucking film i didn't draw this in a sketchbook it's right there so yeah and in the same tweet it's yeah he had an excellent offensive game and it's like oh why are you shooting all over like i said he had an excellent offensive game (laughs) it's like you can't be even-handed anymore and it's all and, well, and it's and, all just and, what and about and also, it's ridiculous yeah and or, or there's I mean, uh we're not, there's uh well yeah. and so and the, well this and this gets into something else that i think it's good to, it's good to put this out there at least once at the beginning of the season you and i don't have agendas with this we will talk about players that have flaws and all that kind of stuff it is not because we want the suns to fail or we want deandre Ayton to fail it's just this these are our opinions on deandre Ayton. it's the same thing with all those lakers guys and i'm you know if they look the way i like to do this and it's funny i I've tried to articulate this a lot of times is praise when warranted and criticism when warranted. That's, that's what I do. It's not, if, if, it, if a guy gets better, I will talk about it. Victor Oladipo, I ripped on Victor Oladipo for 
for years on this podcast and in my writing, he got way better. I praised him for getting way better. That's the way this works. And if you want somebody who will praise the guys that you care about when they don't deserve it, there are many places that you can look for that content. This is not that place. And I, I have, like, for me, it's important to build a reputation as somebody who will tell the truth as I see it. And if you disagree with that, that's totally fine. But there is there is no benefit for me to distort what I feel because of some sort of other benefit. Well, let's talk about the Mavs now. 10 out of 33, that was even with a late flurry from downtown they really struggled dennis smith pretty atrocious game six out of 19 just was getting into the mid-range getting into florida range just could not convert he only played 28 minutes that the Mavs really trailed by 10 most of the game uh after a really ugly first quarter in which the suns were six out of 10 from downtown and then they got back into it i think got within two with about five minutes left before that massive booker flurry uh, i think the suns had like 25 points in the last four minutes or so of the of the uh fourth quarter led by booker and some great three-point shooting by josh jackson as well but they came back into it with the, you know kind of the old guard that second unit that did well uh, Kleba and Powell at power forward JJ Barea Jalen Brunson actually took some of Devin Harris's minutes uh, as well uh, and then they just had Wes Matthews out there with those guys and then when they went back to uh, the Suns pushed it up to seven Carlisle finally went back to the starters and then they started getting lit up uh, again and they just had no answers for Booker they tried everyone on him and uh, he was lighting them up Doncic started off well went 0 for 5 from downtown including airballing a wide open spot up three I think all four of his five attempts were off the dribble tough step backs uh, wasn't able to make any of those although a few of them were close he also had four turnovers. it was not a good debut for him for assists we we saw early on he he looked great six points on three of five in the first quarter and then really kind of faded i think that's something we're going to see a lot from him he is not in despite dominating in the euro league the nba is a 48 minute game the schedule is extremely difficult he's not really in nba shape from a body composition standpoint certainly and, and perhaps from just not even necessarily a cardio standpoint but just you know being able to make it through the whole game so i think we may see him fade down the end of games and this this is a reason why I, I wasn't that high on the maps you know Doncic and Smith went 11 out of 35 today and yeah those guys are prospects that, that I like but they're also rookies and those are the two primary offensive creators so I think they'll look better when Harrison Barnes comes back uh, to take a little bit of the pressure off those guys and also add one more shooter um what what do you have on the Mavs uh, aside from that DeAndre De- Jordan's defense was awful for most of yeah. this game he, he, he finally brought it at the end that is a big problem he, like the fourth quarter he a actually bit, yeah. started but but he just like he doesn't really move and he doesn't really jump that much you know it, like he's capable but it just his activity level is so low at, at this point he was always spottier than people thought but it really these last couple of years it's been ugly yeah like he would have some of those plays as a clipper where he kind of fly through the play and then you realize and it looked good and then the guy would just finish after he went by those sorts of plays he there were fewer of those there were plays where he kind of looked like he kind of saw what was going on but just never really got over there and playing it could end up being that playing on a less competitive team if that's where this season goes for dallas could end up making him look even worse just because if his energy level waxes and wanes and then this was a rough game for dennis smith i think that's another important takeaway one of i mean this was a duality we talked about during the offseason during the preview podcast is dennis smith was one of the most destructive players in the nba last year and that was not a surprise both of 
us were high on him as a like in terms of where he could end up being and there was very little last season that dissuaded us from that opinion but it takes a lot to get from there and there were moments where defensively he I I blame Eric Bledsoe for this because Eric Bledsoe does it too much but he helped without really helping and then his guy was wide open they hit his guy and got a three I think there was one where he kind of tagged Aiton when his guy was Ariza and Ariza just drills in above the break three because he wasn't there to contest it and then Smith there are parallels here with a couple other guys one of them incidentally being Josh Jackson were like when it's when his game looks good you 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 see those pitches like his what his speed with the ball when he gets a little bit of a seam and makes it a big seam and just gets by guys every once in a while he makes a nice like kind of puts his hand out there gets a steal and gets a dunk but the question is always going to be with Smith what is the proportion of those flashes versus the proportion of the fizzles and my belief because I believe I believe in his physical potential is that the proportion will get better with time but what I think what today was a reminder of is that even if it improves from where it was last year there's still a lot more room to grow yeah and ben tracked the possessions that Doncic initiated basically where he was the one creating the action and pretty ugly 10 points on 15 possessions on those plays smith even worse 13 points on 23 possessions for him and smith you know this doesn't count like full court right i think smith had three fast break dunks or layups some of which were created by him but in the half court his efficiency was really just awful the shot selection was not great he hit one step back three-pointer and then he went to oh i'm hot you know when you hit your first shot of the game and then just takes a terrible three on the move not even set the next time down that like barely hits rim um yeah tough tough game for him uh, i really liked what i saw from maxi kleba off the bench two of two from downtown just a very aware defender switchable not someone that you ever really heard about coming out of europe he is a great find for the Mavs with his athleticism he can get up for some alley-oops as well powell uh was very efficient 16 points in 17 minutes he's a an excellent role man uh Jalen Brunson playing 19 minutes. Another reason, uh, I didn't think he was horrible. He hit one tough three, but he turned down a lot of threes also. And, and defensively, he was a little too slow. He got cooked a, a few times. Uh, but, you know, he's playing over Devin Harris. Devin Harris, you know, the, is at an age where you could be done. J.J. Bray at least looks like he still has it this year. He had 10 assists in 21 minutes. But hopefully with Barnes's return, Brunson wants to play. Because, again, they have no wings off the bench. Well, I, I thought Dorian Finney-Smith played pretty well today. Uh, two of five from three. Looked confident taking it uh where you know the three-pointer had been a limitation in his game uh, before but you can get 12 points in 30 minutes out of him that's actually like very very good uh so uh, there are some reasons for autism for the Mavs and if the Suns shoot a normal percentage from three and the Mavs shoot a normal percentage from three this is a close game I didn't feel that the Suns just like so crazily outplayed the Mavs other than just Smith and Matthews or I'm sorry Smith and Doncic just struggling a little bit but in particular Smith so uh, that's about all I got on this game. Anything you wanted to add still? No, I think that's it. I mean, Josh Jackson put together a nice stat line, 7 for 11 from the field, so 18 points on 12 shooting possessions. And it was nice to see him. He had two big corner threes where the Mavs just left him wide open after the Booker flurry, and it was great to see him make those. But overall, his shot selection was the same thing that I was. I had problems with before. Some of those shots went in today. We'll see if, if they go in at a higher proportion for this season and 
its entirety, then maybe I'll feel a little bit differently about Josh Jackson. But And he had a, a, a nice defensive play where he got a chase down block on Dennis Smith, which actually led to a Smith foul when Smith got pissed off and pushed him. But And also, no Mikhail Bridges. I don't know if there's a, a, a larger story to that. But, yeah. you know, like we'll, we'll have to see all, how all those Suns guys fit. I like that Kaka- like Kaka- the system looked better under Kokoshkov. Booker had a really nice night offensively. Aiton showed a lot of the positive, like the, the people who support him, like kind of why they feel that way. And also, you, you mentioned it briefly, but I mean, they cut Shaq Harrison. Isaiah Cannon started in the place that I thought Shaq Harrison was going to get. And, you know, Cannon wasn't a great scoring night for him, but I thought he did a nice yeah. job distributing. It was still weird for me that Dallas was treating him more as a driver than a shooter, but I thought he had a, a, a solid game, better than I expected. I mean, if you look at this starting lineup, they are putting Aiton and Booker, but in particular, Aiton in position to succeed. I mean, Aiton played 36 minutes, uh, and he's the starting lineup is the two starters at the front court for the Houston Rockets at the start of last year, Anderson and Ariza, both the three-point shooters. Uh, Cannon can't do, really do anything except take three-pointers. He was two out of five. And so this they just have enough spacing around these guys. Now, when they go, and I made the point before about the Suns offseason that they can make lineups that work at times. Now, defensively, better teams than the Mavs. I, you know, I don't think the Mavs are going to be a great offensive team this year. You know, better teams than the Mavs are going to cook these guys for sure. I mean, between Cannon, Booker, and Aiton, and Anderson, I mean, that's like four really bad defenders in your starting lineup. So, uh, and when they get Jackson and Warren out there together, when those guys aren't going six to eight from three, the, the spacing's not going to be as good uh, for sure. No Dragon Bender in this game, by the way. No Rashawn Holmes in this game. Elliot Kobo did get eight minutes as a backup point guard uh, off the bench in the second half. I think they basically just ran Booker uh, as the backup point guard. And uh, again, he was outstanding. And I think, you know, it'd be very interesting to watch his progress because he's been overrated as far as his performance already, but he took a big step forward last year. And if he could do that again, especially under Kokoshkov, and if he's being set up in these positions, again, you know, Dallas is a, not a team that had anybody to stop him. So let's not go crazy here. But uh, maybe he could be like, oh yeah, you know what? That max contract was a good idea. Uh, well, it probably wouldn't have been still because they cost themselves a bunch of cast space and they could have just given it to him next summer. But uh, nonetheless. So uh, last thing I want to talk about too, Dallas talking about how they're going to run a lot more very slow pace to this game only 93 possessions here i don't have the and and 10 fast break points for the Mavs. that's not amazing i don't have the exact possession stats uh, available right now but let's uh move on to telling you about danny's employer the athletic obviously you can get all of danny's work there including there is every player stuff for the warriors in their app he's wrote a preview of all 30 teams they also have exclusive video content now the gordon hayward's exclusive five-part series in concert with the players tribune uh detailing his comeback which uh has certainly been a difficult one he, the the setback uh, of his second surgery uh, you know was something that uh really i hadn't known as, as much about uh and i also wanted to highlight one of their new writers someone you probably haven't heard of a guy named kelly eco out of houston he's joined the athletic this year uh i read today his preview on the rocket season there's just like kelly is really good like he he understands the game he understands analytics but you know where he really shines is just uh as a reporter you always get a couple of nuggets out of his you know whether it's exclusive interviews whether it's source reporting you know there's a few things like marquis chris didn't come into camp in great shape for the rockets this year like that's something that i didn't know that i learned uh, from reading his preview 
he also mentioned that the chatter about Trevor Ariza maybe getting bought out and rejoining the Rockets is something that actually you know there might be some truth behind that so uh, I always learn something when I read Kelly's stuff uh and uh I recommend following him uh, on Twitter as well he d- he's a the type of guy that the athletic has really worked out they've got all 30 teams now that they are covering so even if you're not a fan of a certain team if something big happens you can go on to the athletic and find out from the local guy and then they've got great uh shams is with them now sam amick i mean they, they really just have so much firepower um you know and then obviously danny's stuff as well um which you're probably a disloyal listener if you're not an athletic subscriber already, frankly. Um, but yeah, the, I really am impressed with some of the talent that they were able to find. And Kelly is a great example of that. Uh, where do you want to go next here, Danny? Let's go to San Antonio. I mean, this was the kind of the drama center of the day because of the Jimmy Butler stuff. This was his first game with the team after making the trade demand and all the practice ridiculousness and everything like that. And I cracked up because at the beginning of the game, you turned to me and you said didn't didn't san antonio beat minnesota on the first day last year and we kind of were a little bit ambivalent about minnesota and i'm like that sounds possible but i didn't know for sure and sure enough the wednesday of of the season last year san antonio beat them i think it was by seven and minnesota ended up beating utah in their next game but i think an important element to consider with this game because one of the i mean while minnesota is probably high in people's minds here because of the jimmy butler and all that stuff one of the big questions for me this season is whether san antonio can still defend and i'm not even though they had a good night they won 112 108 i'm not totally sure we have an answer to that question because minnesota is just tailor-made for san antonio to still defend well yeah with the the lack of spacing the two bigs as well a couple of interesting notes from this one i didn't watch this one quite closely enough i mean i think we're gonna just kind of bounce around a little bit just keep you up to date on what happened even if we didn't watch a game necessarily incredibly closely or if we we saw some snippets of it but unfortunately for minnesota in a lot of ways they picked up right where they left off against the rockets last year with carl anthony towns fouling out in 22 minutes and only getting six field goal attempts but he played most of the first half and he only had three field goal attempts at halftime and uh but don't worry, Derek Rose got plenty of field goal attempts in 31 minutes. Uh, he took double the number of Carl Anthony Towns on his way to three for 12. And uh, don't worry, Jimmy Butler got plenty of, of shot attempts up, nine out of 23 in 32 minutes for him. Uh, interesting that he only played the 32 minutes. Here, here for fun, do you want to guess how many corner threes Minnesota attempted in this game? Uh, well, considering that they don't exactly emphasize it and that San Antonio was the first team in the league really to try to take those away, I'm going to guess one. It was three. They made one, but still, I mean, yeah. that's pretty remarkable. They didn't take a single one from the left corner. They were all from the right corner. I, I believe I saw Wiggins take and miss one. But, I mean, Minnesota, it, we talked about this a fair portion last year where there are moments in time where you sit there and go god their offense is so frustrating and terrible and all that but then they ended up finishing the season in the top 10 you know there were because they have so much talent and that gets into this weird realm with them where it's like it feels like they could be so much better offensively than they are and we'll see if that continues for this year they were able to put it together when jimmy butler was healthy last year i don't think they can but i don't think they can they just don't have enough spacing they don't have enough system they got too many inefficient guys and they have a and they have a coach who i don't think is creative enough to use the 
unique strengths of his best offensive well, player. And especially when that guy is your only decent three-point shooter on the roster, basically, uh, you know, maybe t- other than Tolliver. But I think even if you gave Tibbs a roster that was more well-suited to Carl Anthony Towns, I, when I watch that team play, I don't think, oh, there's this untapped, like he he's really trying stuff and it's being screwed yeah. by their space. And you think, Towns. oh, he's such this old school coach. He would love to just throw the ball into the post every time to Carl Anthony Towns. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, we'll see what the, what that looks like once Butler is gone. Uh, Glenn Taylor had an interview. Uh, the, the Wolves broadcast was uh, basically brought to you by Pravda. Uh, they start off with this montage. And, and, you know, this isn't coming from the actual announcers themselves who, who are really good. But there's clearly, you know, an edict because this is a local all these local teams are you know either owned by or basically business partners with the teams themselves of oh you know like here here are some of the lines that they had on just this like intro oh because there's all this turmoil but the wool's future is secured and they show like the montage of andrew wiggins and carl anthony towns uh and uh you know basically totally glossing over the butler thing and uh no matter how much turmoil you can always say that like with the wolves young talent they'll always be all eyes north it's just this so so there was the start and then at halftime glenn taylor did an interview oh you missed you missed the best part though where they referred to derrick rose as a league mvp oh, yeah, yeah they re-signed a league mvp and it shows him with like his one dunk of the season like it was uh yeah <laughs> it was it was uh and then on the broadcast you know like uh jim peterson who is uh, i guess i will say he's been uh maybe more honest than some local telecast would want their color guy to be it had some stat about how you know the wolves really struck. i think he was talking about how like you know they just hadn't had much continuity when they're talking about like the best wolves players records on opening night and uh his partner was like oh no we're trying to be positive and then jim has to like spit out these positive stats like it was very clear that someone had told them all right you guys got to be positive here all right that that's not stuff on the court but i think it's it's interesting especially because there's all this concern over like the business and stuff i'm, I'm very interested to see what the reception is that jimmy butler is going to get uh, at for his first home game uh, over the weekend um yeah well some something we should talk about that was i i intriguing for me from this game i'm not going to say important yet was I thought Jeff Teague played really well and he was getting getting to the basket got to the free throw line for nine attempts and so there's the positive side of that that Jeff Teague looked good he was active and and all that then you were also reminded of one of the biggest differences for San Antonio this year versus last year is beyond replacing Kyle Anderson and Danny Green all these guys is also DeJounte Murray being out for the year with the torn ACL I mean he did such a great job of blunting the point of attack especially once he took over as the starter midway through last year and Bryn Forbes, Patty Mills as a combination are not going to do a lot of that. And so it will be harder for San Antonio's defense to hold stout. I mean, they did a, I mean, it was ridiculous. Minnesota shot 49% in the restricted area in this game. And I mean, if San Antonio can do that every game, then they'll be totally fine. But we'll, we'll kind of see how they defend a couple of different teams. But I was happy for Jeff Teague that he did so well. Yeah, he looked good getting in the lane. He had the floater working. For San Antonio, Aldridge actually played 42 minutes in this game uh it was only seven out of 23 from the field but he had eight offensive rebounds Jakob Pertl started but only played eight minutes and had four offensive rebounds in that time San Antonio racked up 19 offensive rebounds the Wolves had 14 but that was 37 percent offensive rebounds for San Antonio and this was actually an offensive game uh, San Antonio had a 119 uh offensive rating in, in this game and Minnesota had 113 
DeRozan looked pretty good in his first game as a spur 28 points he played 38 minutes uh, on 26 shooting possessions so not amazing but they certainly need someone to soak up these possessions and you know to give up that type of an offensive rating to this San Antonio team is not very good and for Minnesota that who plays two bigs all the time to give up those kind of offensive rebounds is not great either let's uh move on to New Orleans and Houston now uh, New Orleans did claim Tim Frazier off of waivers, uh, former point guard. They need a little bit more depth at, at that position. As you've noted, they don't really have an established actual point guard backup. They've got Frank Jackson, uh, who wasn't in the rotation tonight. But New Orleans just came out and absolutely just kicked the shit out of the Rockets. And the number one thing that I took away was just how badly New Orleans abused that Rocket switching. Julius Randle just was an absolute terror, including going two of four on three-pointers. Uh, he he and Aaron Baines can battle each other for the most uncomfortable looking three-point form among big guys that actually goes in surprisingly but Randall 25 points on only 18 shooting possessions I'm sorry no that it's uh 17 because he had a couple of and ones three assists eight rebounds Anthony Davis had a career high eight assists uh, by halfway through the third quarter he was plus 26 he only had 10 po- i'm sorry no that was uh i was looking at the wrong line there ad had a lot more than 10 points he had 32 points uh he looked fantastic in the post he scored one-on-one even on clint capella you know he hasn't really shown the ability to just score with his back to the basket against centers he was moving guys around a lot too he he mentioned uh in a piece with brian windhorse that he had worked on his lower body just accepting that he had to play center and he was moving these Rockets guys around on switches. Nikola Miritich uh, was on fire. He was 6 of 8 from downtown. He had 30 points in this one. But the Pels overall were only 10 out of 25 from downtown. That's not a, a crazy number. But they just busted their asses uh, on switches. Then Alfred Payton, uh, he had the... Uh, the Thon Maker, should we call it the Thon Maker uh, triple double? Oh, wait, no, it wasn't 10 fouls. It was actually a, a, a normal points, rebounds, assist, triple double. But 10, 10, and 10, exactly. Yeah, it's funny. I always think of Jason Kidd with this, but technically Andre Iguodala has done it more. Iguodala is the only guy who's ever done it more than once. And you're, you're it, talking about ex- you know, exactly Payton, 10 he, points, 10 rebounds. Exactly 10, 10, yeah. and 10. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I thought this was a, an inspiring game from New Orleans. One broader point that I want to make is that I've been skeptical of Anthony Davis Davis's MVP candidacy just because it's so hard for a player who doesn't run the offense to just get enough touches. And if AD is going to do it, it's going to be with games like this because he was impactful defensively. I thought he did a nice job. He absolutely stuffed Clint Capella on one play where it was, you know, he, he they were both in position. Yeah. Capella tried to go up and Anthony Davis just said he, no, he sir. He set the tone and, defensively in, in, oh, in absolutely. that first quarter uh, where Houston really was struggling to score around the rim. He was fantastic. Yeah, and so you you have all you have a lot of these positives from New Orleans. I mean, I I picked them to go over. I I believe I picked forty eight wins for them, and I I like so much of, of what they can do, and and a lot of that was was manifest in this game. Twenty nine of thirty seven in the restricted area, and both parts of that are huge. I mean, seventy eight percent is is bonkers, and getting thirty seven attempts, and they still got to the line twenty two times in this game. So that that's really impressive. And Houston, there are a couple of different 
different things that I think are worth discussing with them. And one of the big questions for them this whole season is going to be, they were the most successful isolation basketball team in the history of the NBA last year. And James Harden, Chris Paul, still awesome ISO players. Like they they had better fundamentals there than almost everybody. But those shots are going to have to go in. Defensively, not only did they change personnel, but they also lost Jeff Bezelik. And so that's a factor in here as well. And so the Rockets will play a lot better than they did in this game. But this is really all about May and June for them. And one of my big concerns from this game is that two of their more high profile additions really did not look like May and June players. You're talking about Michael Carter Williams as a high profile addition? Eh, I mean, they didn't add that many guys. <laughs> I mean, so their additions, Ennis, Mello, MCW, because Gerald Green doesn't count as an addition. He's not added. He's retained. Am I missing somebody? Yeah. No, I mean, it really, a, a Mello, negative 20, three out of 10 from the field, uh, one of five uh, from downtown. and Oh, and, and Julius Randle beasting him oh, on man. a post that was, Randall, was enthralling. Julius Randle beasted their entire team. And, and, and really, like, we talked about this, how Randle could be a really good addition for a playoff team because we saw this with the Lakers. Like, he is not switchable. Like, he is one of the few guys. I mean, I'm not sure that there are many other guys in the entire league I would rather have just going in an ISO against a mismatch because he's a good enough ball handler that you can just throw in the ball and he can just bully guys facing up even if he has a bigger guy on him especially if he's going to shoot the ball like this now uh if he's got a bigger guy on him he's fast enough he's still strong enough to go through a lot of guys and there's just not many guys you look at who are like, oh, this guy is a good matchup one-on-one for Randall. Now, he can switch defensively, but he's not, he's not fantastic defensively. And his shooting range, you know, I'll believe this three-point shooting when I see it, uh, you know, two months from now. But man, I mean, like, and he's a beast getting position as well. Like, the guy's like really quick and he's 250 and he is just, and 250 might be light, frankly. Like, anyone who's not a center on him, like, he's just abusing them in the post. Like, James Harden, a pretty good post defender? No, no, like... It, he he got just knocked backwards like chris paul can switch on to a lot of guys he can't switch on to julius randall michael carter williams carmelo i mean no even though carmelo's got some heft to him these days uh just a really impressive and i think the lakers are really i understand he wasn't a great fit and they felt like they needed some perimeter talent but man like randall is a great talent and people say oh well you know the lakers Aaron Mintz hated the Lakers he wasn't going to stay there and you know Randall like they couldn't sign him to a long-term contract because they needed more space for next year because they, they already it was clear they weren't getting him in this year and they could have retained him with that cap hold and paid him anywhere up to the max and so my solution was hey just pay him 20 million offer him a one-year 20 million dollar deal to stick around with the hope that maybe it'll work out again next year as opposed to I mean he left for the Pelicans for 18 million in guaranteed money over two years with a player option on the second year so he clearly Clearly, no matter how much he hit it, he would have stayed there. And the guy is just a, a talent, man. Like, he is really, like, you just don't let the, someone like that just leave. Uh, uh, and so, I mean, it's it's amazing how, you know, all, every Lakers fan is like, oh, man, Julius Randle, he's so good. He's so good. He's one of our great young players. And then as soon as the team lets him leave, it's like, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense that we let uh, let him leave um, to get one year of Rondo and, and uh, Lance Stevenson. Lance Stevenson. Yeah um yeah. yeah and incidentally i mean you know the the other big beneficiary there of that whole move was that i mean randall was probably going to provide more value this year than rajon rondo and i mean while it's still i mean alfred payton did get his 10 10 10 in this game and we'll still see that but i mean randall's an interesting piece and also we should mention big game from nicola Miritich. yeah i did i, I mentioned Beyond him briefly, six, but yeah oh you did okay because did you mention his seven offensive rebounds no one, one thing that Pels, i noted in this game 14 offensive boards i mean that's like that's, that's gotta be like the most they've ever had in the Alvin Gentry era. <laughs> 
But yeah, Miritich was like, he was crashing hard. Yeah, and that's something I wanted to talk about was that he also was going after 50-50 balls. And there are are risks, of course, with power forwards in particular going after loose balls just because if they don't get it, then they're going to be behind the play. And Miritich can hustle, but he's not always going to get back. But I thought he did a really nice job in this game. And they have enough other defensive talent to make it work. And so I still want to see what New Orleans is going to get from their other bench players. I mean, Randall was obviously great, but Miller and Hill, you know, not particularly inspiring games from either of them not that they got an amazing opportunity there but the bones of the new orleans team are really really good and i I like so many of their players and i think gentry already showed the kind of the that he has the intellectual desire to maximize julius randall which is great and that's not a surprise i mean i I, well as soon as they signed him it's like oh it's gonna be so fun to see gentry and davis and all this kind of stuff with julius randall so i'm excited for that i'm not putting too much into houston getting their butts kicked in this game uh, especially because we watched bits and pieces of this game it was actually a r- original primary during its time slot but once we kind of figured out where it was going you're like okay we'll have plenty of chances to watch the houston rockets but you know we'll we'll have to we'll have to see there and whether they can get more from from some of their bench guys i mean eric gordon again obviously great but what they can get from the other guys and most teams aren't going to be able to exploit their foibles nearly as well this, this is kind of the parallel with the boston philly game yesterday where they happen to face a team that is knows how to attack what they do and and has good personnel for it but you know that didn't happen a whole heck of a lot to houston last year new orleans did beat them that was the first game they lost with chris paul james harden and clint capella all playing together was that game with demarcus cousins getting hurt tearing his achilles but still you know it's a data point and i don't think it's an important data point yet but it is a data point well i'll tell you what though michael carter williams cannot play on this team i mean he he did actually hit a three late if he if he gets an if he gets a lane in transition and just has the ball in his hands he could do something but a lot of it a lot of nba players can do that and all the rest of the time he's a negative somehow he was actually plus three but he ruins the entire offensive system like just him not getting guarded like there was one play that really stuck in my mind where harden blew past his man it was at the end of the quarter i think and carter williams was in the corner and i think it was alfred payton who was guarding him and alfred payton was just standing at the dotted line while carter williams was in the corner and harden saw payton and had to slow up and then he ended up getting stripped by the guy from behind because he had to slow up uh and harden was like oh that's carl williams like you know if it's trevor ariza in that corner harden just throws it to him and he hits a three you know but he, he knew it was carter williams carl williams had like hit missed a couple of threes really badly he hit one in uh garbage time i believe but yeah it's uh I and mean, he was maybe the worst rotation player in the nba and then he he was injured so this idea and they gotta have he's the only backup point guard they have right now and chris paul you know he they he played 32 minutes tonight like he shouldn't be playing more than that uh so i mean they got to get some production there you know they, they can get onto the buyout market this team may not be the same uh harden it was definitely a real struggle for them he had a few buckets late but you know only 18 points for him 10 assists six out of 15 uh clint capella didn't play well he got completely stuffed as you mentioned a couple of times by davis early on and that seemed to get into his head a little bit uh james ennis looked okay but yeah i mean the, the defense is the bigger problem i mean and you know right now healthy i mean they they got one guy maybe that you trust coming off the bench joe green had, had a rough game here too but uh the defense was just so awful in this game and the pels i mean the pels earned that though i mean they were beasting inside and i, I really liked the offensive rebounding and so the, i mean the number one thing i'm looking at this year is what are teams plans for beating switches everyone knows the rockets are going to switch even more than the warriors ever did now so many more teams are are switching who's going to come out here with a plan to beat that and the pels had a great plan tonight uh 
their post guys won and, and then they ran like absolute crazy and got a lot of threes in transition and they just lit up the, the rockets um you want to talk a, a little bit of bucks hornets here before we go yeah let's do it so i mean you and i watched more of the first half than the second half and that's when the bucks went absolutely crazy they were 11 of 22 on threes as they dropped 67 points in the first half which is actually fewer than new orleans had i think new orleans had 71 or 72 at halftime and that toned down a lot in the second half they were only three of 12 on threes but we saw a lot of the kind of the positive elements of milwaukee in terms of just having more floor spacing brooke lopez having a step back three which was just earth shattering in certain ways early in the game i thought Giannis had some had some nice stretches even though his shot wasn't going early in the game he missed a couple finishes around the rim still put together you know it, it didn't feel like a great Giannis game but he had 25 18 8 and 8 turnovers so you can kind of go over that but one thing that i think was re- two things actually that were interesting takeaways from this game one charlotte going super small at a couple big moments including part of their fourth quarter run playing kemba walker Malik Monk and Tony Parker together and the Bucks when they started stagnating late going to Chris Middleton for buckets and largely Chris Middleton doing well yeah the switching was really kind of what got Charlotte back into it right how did they avoid giving up as many three-pointers 22 in the first half 12 attempts only in the second half was they started switching everything again and that did kind of stagnate the Bucks offense at least they're playing with more spacing now though so when they were going one-on-one it looked better than it did last year uh that mkg at center lineup did get uh, the hornets back into it also getting the hornets back into it was seven points in the last one second of the second uh, and third quarter uh they hit buzzer beating threes and one of them was uh, an and one uh in each of those quarters and then Kemba Walker also went crazy the Bucks were playing with the big back you know that's the coverage that everyone had been wanting for a long time but Kemba Walker he really got on fire and, and killed it he was hitting some difficult attempts I mean I didn't think he was being defended poorly most of the time uh, by Eric Bledsoe but you know he was on his back and Walker still they're setting the screen high enough that Walker could get separation and pull up from three he finished seven of 13 from downtown 15 to 29 overall and dropped 41 points also was able to to get into the lane uh some interesting rotational stuff uh, for both teams uh miles bridges didn't play much only 15 minutes uh oh for one it's always interesting when oh man this rookie had a great preseason and then you look down and he's not really playing that much uh parker you mentioned actually had a decent game he was four out of eight monk hit, hit a big three-pointer uh, late uh he had 18 months 34 minutes from Malik monk that's actually very uh, encouraging nick batum continues to look really ugly uh, offensively two out of eight although he was out there late playing uh as the power forward next to mkg as as they made the run back for the bucks ursan liasova got a lot of the minutes at backup center in the second half christian wood did play for five five minutes he was one of one from three they also gave john henson 12 minutes at center the backup wing situation was probably the most interesting dante divincenzo 22 minutes got the most minutes of any bucks backup perimeter player the bucks also did not play any normal backup point guard they just kind of put the ball in the hands of either Brogdon or or Giannis uh playing with some of those other guys even Chenzo actually impressed you know we didn't really get to see anything of him in summer league with that groin injury uh he had one nightmare game but he was bombing uh taking some pretty difficult threes he even got brought out there as a defensive replacement and you know for him to play 22 minutes Tony Snell only 11 minutes Delhi didn't play at all Pat Conton didn't play at all so I mean uh Mike Mudenholzer you know may have uh asked them to draft 
DiVincenzo, but he's playing him and he looked good in this game. If he keeps shooting, I mean, these like difficult three pointers and hustling, you know, that's going to look like a pretty good pick. And we'll see whether he stays in the rotation for a long time ahead of those guys or not. Uh, I had a few notes on the end of the game here, but anything else that you took away from, uh, the, the meat of this one well i want to bring up with divincenzo it's the combination of confident shooting and just just going with it because he, he was two for four but you have to respect it if if, if it goes in at least a reasonable amount because it, quick release when the opportunity presents itself because then you have to close out on him maybe you maybe you don't don't stay stray as far away from him and then that creates more real estate for Giannis. i mean you could see some of the potential in this team especially offensively with lopez just helping space the four but even there was this fun play where we were trying to fi- I-, I couldn't figure out who was standing in the corner but it was John Henson and because you're just sitting there going well under Jason Kidd and Joe Prunty there's no way that a center like John Henson would ever be in the corner and you know it just pulls the center out a little bit gives gives more real estate for guys to work with and I think the rotation is a work in progress for Milwaukee but a lot of it's there I thought there were some nice moments for Eric Bledsoe still imperfect I, I mentioned it in the context of Dennis Smith there were still a couple plays where he helped for no good reason and then his guy got wide open for again no good reason but offensively i think moon budenholes are god now i'm getting the spoonerism <laughs> is hurting me that um that that'll it'll really help him offensively he, he will be a big beneficiary of this change and so i'm excited to see it but also a good game i mean kemba was phenomenal in this game and we should underline bold that and everything else because he, he was amazing one of the best players on the real opening night of the nba and also when charlotte went to a center late in this game they they did not go to Cody Zeller. They went to Aaron Gomez. And I, I like Aaron Gomez a lot, but I did not expect that. Yeah, it was interesting. They had that small lineup that was switching. And about three minutes left, they had a few possessions where they couldn't score, including some key missed free throws late as well. And so they went back to Willie, I think just to boost the offense. And, and he was pretty solid. He had nine points in 12 minutes. And he did have a, a tip in during that period. But I have to question both coaches. Borrego, the biggest one to me was, on the key play of the game with it tied down the end 40 seconds left he leaves Hernan Gomez in the game they're switching they get him onto Giannis and he follows Giannis on a drive I mean there was a they were shooting free throws they could have gotten Hernan Gomez out of the game the Bucks had a chance to get a two for one there but had already used up one of their two timeouts really for no good reason uh it was just like after Charlotte was shooting free throws and they just felt like they needed to call it or something uh so they couldn't advance the ball and get the two for one they failed to get the two for one there uh Budenholzer did actually show some growth from his Hawks days Giannis they're up still pretty good early in the fourth Giannis gets his fifth foul on a passing crash which was miserable and has to go out of the game they come back and tie it and he actually brought Giannis back in with six minutes left so he wasn't too conservative about that and Giannis ended up you know helping them win the game uh you know do they win if he they don't bring him back that early and he didn't foul out you know that that was definitely pretty useful uh then Budenholzer went with John Henson as the defensive replacement. They were in conventional pick and roll defense on the end, and that's with Kemba Walker. Uh, Walker got into the lane. I thought he had a very good look against Henson, and maybe you could say Henson bothered him, but it didn't look like he did that much. Walker did miss it, but you would have liked to have someone in a last shot situation who could have maybe switched, you know, bring in a, a Tony Snell. Uh, they actually even brought in DiVincenzo as a defensive replacement. Uh, and then Marvin Williams got the offensive rebound, tipped it out, but Batum missed a 
wide open three-pointer with the Hornets down one uh, that could have won the game uh anything else on this one well I feel decently about my the idea that the Hornets can be a playoff contender if the you know depending on how the bottom of the east shakes out I thought they looked pretty good overall in this game and Borrego opening up their offense a little bit more is encouraging you know they might not hit 16 to 30 in threes every night but maybe they'll make a couple more free throws and they have they have talent on this team I thought Lamb looked solid I I thought he would play more but Malik Monk had had a nice scoring night so it was it was really nice to see that's something we've talked about just guys who it looks like maybe they've disappointed early in their career but maybe there are mitigating factors that are worth considering and Monk missing so much of both of his first two summers due to injury probably really hurt his development and and hopefully he can use this year as a springboard to bigger and better things all right I want to just talk a little bit about some of these other games which we didn't get a chance to watch a ton of but since it's opening night you know at least give a few nuggets Utah 123 Sacramento 117 but most notable here for Sacramento Marvin Bagley did not start neither did Harry Giles it seemed like that was going to be the starting front court but au contraire Bagley only played 12 minutes Giles only played 10 instead they started Cauley Stein who was awesome 23 points and Bielitsa actually started at the four they started a two-point guard backcourt with Yogi Ferrell and De'Aaron Fox and then Buddy Heald at the three which you know the against Utah they don't have you know a three who you really have to guard so you can get away with healed at the three guard in the sense that you know in a one-on-one matchup and so Cauley Stein we've seen him be effective before as the role man when they actually space the floor but you know so little of Cauley Stein's career has actually been spent playing with any kind of a stretch four whatsoever and so Bielitsa was really effective he had 18 points in this game I'm looking forward to going back and watching it a little bit more but the Kings actually scored quite well against the Jazz they were good in transition as well still only got up 19 three-point attempts the Jazz take away a, a lot of those uh and it was a crazy high pace though uh which was a, a big part of this uh, for the Jazz Joe Ingles uh, looks like he's not going to miss a beat this year he had 22 points Donovan Mitchell 24 points but it took him 21 shots to get there um oh something else funny with this game was that sacramento absolutely dominated the beginning of both halves they went up nine nothing and then they were down 15 at halftime and then they came back and actually took the lead relatively early in the third quarter and that shows in the plus minuses their starters were all positive and then their backups just got worked by the jazz and i mean it makes sense not only are the jazz a deep team but they play some of these mixed lineups and they're they have a lot of talent so i i'm happy that we didn't get to watch any of this game that's that sacramento had some real positive signs you're, you're, I mean, and i'm happy to be that clear you're not happy that we didn't get to watch them. you're happy dash even though we didn't get to watch any of this game <laughs> no i'm happy that but, yeah broadly, broadly we don't, we don't want to uh, and, uh, upset and, any sensitive kings fans no no and i also amon shepherd playing 18 minutes i mean again i'll want to see him actually play but after having such a lost season due to injury if he can put put some things together in his last last year on this current contract it'd be good for him uh memphis got completely destroyed in was that at indiana or at memphis i thought it was at memphis it was in indiana uh, Oh, okay and uh but nonetheless they yeah, got I mean, killed um i mean we, we could be quick with this one but uh what you mean there you mean they're 80.7 offensive rating oof uh yeah i mean and uh especially it looked the offense looked so ugly the one portion of this i saw is when shelvin mack was running the show as, as the backup point guard but uh garrett temple started chandler parsons started uh wayne selden barely played dylan brooks barely played either uh marshawn brooks though uh had played 22 minutes although they were getting blown out here uh kyle anderson didn't start either just a, I, I have a feeling that not a lot is going to make sense for the 
Grizzlies this year with JB Bakerstaff as coach and if it does make sense it'll immediately change to not making sense again uh and, and for the Pacers Miles Turner just got 72 million uh he played 20 minutes and Demonis Sabonis who might be better than him played 29 minutes and, and was more effective Nate McMillan did say basically that we're not going to see Turner and Sabonis together much that those guys are both essentially centers which is a, a good sign TJ Leaf uh had to leave with a, a sprained ankle Tyreek Evans was plus 23 in a revenge game and then yeah oh, a, a slight correction memphis's offensive rating was slightly better than i said that was an incomplete game they were all the way up to 87.4 in the full game oh thank god uh oh probably because of garbage time i'm assuming that's what the difference was and it, it, toronto with a successful start to the Kawhi leonard era although he he had 24 and 12 but it was only 9 out of 22 from the field i'm, I'm looking forward to going and, and watching see how he looked he did play 37 minutes though in this one and well and we can mention when we're going to see them because that will be the twitter nba show on friday we're going to do a second one this week because we're really excited about celtics raptors and kevin love was 5 of 18 from the field in this one uh colin sexton 18 minutes you know again another rookie not playing a ton they started george hill and uh rodney hood really nobody appeared to have played particularly well uh, for the Cavs, who uh lost by 12 and uh, i think that will do it uh, for today thanks so much for listening can we can wait can we briefly mention boban just for Oh, Just yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I did want to note on. Yeah, that's right. I, I was missing that from uh, our list. Yeah. Go ahead. So, Denver ended up winning the game 107 98, but only because Boban only played 18 minutes, plus seven, 18 points, six of eight from the field, six of six from the line, eight rebounds, and one dunk where he basically didn't leave his feet, which is just fantastic. And it was good to see Denver pull this game out. This is the type of game that they lost a few of last year that cost them a playoff berth where they had you know pretty good handle on it in the third quarter but just never ended it they you know they never swept the leg and they didn't do that in this one either but they got a few shots late got a few stops late and were able to win yeah the clippers actually led 92 84 we did watch the last five minutes of this one and basically scored three points in the last five minutes again they hit a garbage three once it was already out of control as the nuggets went on a run this clips are switching everything late they went with harrell at center down the end and they were forcing the nuggets into tough shots but the nuggets uh, were making those shots they took out boban after Jokic hit a pick and pop three on him uh to beat the the shot clock buzzer uh just some interesting minutes totals here shea gilgis alexander 28 minutes off the bench that was actually the most tied with avery bradley for the most of any clippers guard uh lou williams uh had 24 minutes uh, 14 points and nobody really played extremely well offensively for the nuggets will barton was probably the best of those with 19 points uh trey lyles 19 minutes miles plumley being paid 41 million dollars to get 13 minutes so they did have a key block as a defensive replacement late uh well the big thing denver did offensively was get to the free throw line yeah 33 of 42 from the free throw line so like Jokic, he was 6 of 13 from the field but he got 21 points on 18 shooting possessions anyway because of his 8 for 10 from the line yeah and pat beverly really struggled offensively 0 for 8 but did uh, appear to be his pesky self on defense and now we are done so uh catch us tomorrow we'll uh 
uh, do some of those games tomorrow. We have some other features as well. And uh, also, I'm going to tweet this out so you can just respond to the tweet. Uh, but we're doing a new feature for 15 and 60. There's not really enough games yet to get into our usual statistical analysis. So we're on the Eastern Conference, we're going to do one mailbag question about each team. So hopefully, uh, we, I already did this once and got some good questions, but want to make sure we have one uh, for each team. So that's what uh, Sunday night's uh, format is going to be. So please tweet me at Nate Duncan NBA. Uh, I will be tweeting that out in. Uh, a little bit here probably for uh tomorrow morning or something so please look for that uh, at a time when i'm not tweeting so often you'll actually be able to find it uh all right talk to y'all tomorrow till then across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like updating turbines at one of our indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the gulf of mexico It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.